This is the Yanks are coming soccer show. Carter Kushner along with Neil Blackman. Neil, you saw France in the group stage. You saw the U.S. in the group stage. So obviously you're probably more prepared than just about anyone in the media to talk about what we witnessed yesterday. We're recording this on Saturday uh, with the U.S. epic 2-1 victory over France uh, in a World Cup the French are hosting. Yeah, thanks, Cardick. I Look, I know you and I have kind of talked through this for, for listeners before the show and, and kind of have contrasting viewpoints on this game, which is always, you know, makes for entertaining podcasts, we hope. Um, right. I, I, you know, and, and I, I think we should both kind of state our positions. Look, I thought that the – I thought in the first half in particular that the U.S. were thoroughly outplayed. Um, I thought Amandine Henry – uh, and Elise Busicalia were a problem for the U.S. midfield. Rose Lavelle really struggled to find the game. Um, and I thought essentially what happened was Crystal Dunn played fairly heroically, uh, containing Diani the best she could. And when she didn't, and when Henri made good passes and insightful uh, passes into the U.S. center, that Becky Sarbert and Abby Dahl Kemper were phenomenal and warded off the danger. And I thought after the U.S. scored, it was all France, except that the U.S. just defended marvelously, so it didn't matter. Um, In the second half, more of the same from the U.S. defense, but I thought the U.S. stabilized the match much more. Um, And that's where, you know, it was a mistake to not start Lindsey Horan because I didn't think Rose Lavelle played well, and I think the result doesn't make that not a mistake, and, you know, I'll say that on air. What I'll also say was that, uh, Henry Bushnell wrote a great column at Yahoo about it, but Jill Ellis made an adjustment when she brought on Haran. They switched to the 5-4-1. The U.S. had much more control of the match after that. And from that point on, those last 30 minutes, I wholly agree with your kind of general assessment that we talked about before the show that I'll let you tell listeners about. Okay, so um, a couple things. You know, France... Now, maybe I have a narrative, and people have accused me of having a narrative about France, which is that they, um, they get to a knockout stage match against a, a, an equally matched opponent. It was Germany in the, uh, in the 2015 Women's World Cup. It was the United States in the 2011 Women's World Cup. It has been the United States or England or Germany and other competitions in Olympics and Euros. And um, they have fear in their eyes. They are tentative. And, and these are players, by the way, as a unit that have won – the biggest prizes in club football over and over game over and over over. and over again. (laughs) Yeah. And with Leon. So that, that distinguishes them from England. We're going to talk about later in the show who um, have a core of players that consistently lose in semifinals of those competitions. Now, in in Henri's case, sorry to interrupt in Henri's case, not just with Leon, but also in the best league in the world in WSL. Right. Um, Which by the way, you know, I, 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 um, digressing a little bit here. I kept referencing Camille Abelay who was retired. Um, yesterday, she, for me, was when she was in WPS, the predecessor league of NWSL, was arguably the most creative player in that league. Yeah. Made me fall in love with French women's football to where I was watching them very closely in the 2011 World Cup because of what she did at Gold Pride. Uh, was it called Gold Pride? You know those teams yeah. that that, that yeah, won yeah. the title. She was playing with Martha on both those teams, right? Um, LA and and the San Jose team. Anyway, my thinking was after Rapino scored that. Um, that goal, which was a, a bit of a howler from the French defense. I, I'm not going to blame the keeper. I think, um, uh, although you could argue she should have uh, set up her wall better. Um, there was a, a, a sign of fear, a sign of desperation from minutes five to 25. And the French had genuinely some ideas. 
Um, and Henri in that period in midfield was really good. But then when those ideas didn't come off, and the U.S.'s back four was really good in this match. I, I, we, you talked about Crystal Dunn, but I think uh, for the people who criticized Becky in this tournament, <laughs> she really – I think she answered those critics. And Dahl Camper was as good as she's been uh, in this entire tournament as well, and O'Hara was very good. Um, when those ideas didn't come off, I saw just heads down, desperation, uh, fear. That having been said, I completely argue uh, – I completely agree with your point about – the um, the Mewis, uh, excuse me, the uh, selection of Lavelle over Haran. Uh, I like the idea of keeping Mewis and Ertz uh, together because they play off each other so well when in possession, which the U.S. didn't have much of in this game, admittedly. Uh, they also uh, read each other very well defensively and serve as, as somewhat of a double pivot. Maybe not a pure double pivot, but, but a little bit of a double pivot, which is so important when you're not in possession. Um, but as far as Lavelle over Haran, uh, we all questioned that decision before the match. We all went a little crazy about it. And again, I, I don't know if it's been on this show or another show, which I mentioned. I'm so such a Lindsey Horan fan. I dragged my family out of the way when we were in Colorado recently, uh, an hour or two out of the way just to, to drive through her hometown. Right? <laughs> Since I thought that was like a good omen for, for the Women's World Cup where I, I assumed she'd be one of the biggest stars. I like it. Little did I know Jill Ellis would sit her for two matches in the knockout stages, right? <laughs> but um, But the point being... I think once she came in the match, the U.S. were – they were fine. Um, and they, they, they pivoted to a formation which allowed them to be dynamic defensively, but that much more dangerous on the counter uh, and that much more uh, able to hold the ball when they did regain possession. Um, prior to that, I would agree with you. I think tactically uh, France won the battle prior to Haran being inserted, but I do think mentally – and we've seen this from France over and over again in major tournaments. They just weren't there, um, which will, I think, transition. Let's talk about some of the moments in the game, uh, Neil. But then we transition to England, who I don't think are short of confidence the way France seemed to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, the two things I thought really stood out, because you mentioned Sauron. And so I kind of did an unsung hero tweet and then thought about it overnight and watched the first half again. And you know who was really good was Alex Morgan. Um, just dropping deep to come find the game, making sure she was involved defensively, kind of making sure that France's center midfield was, was pressured. Um, the, the French obviously decided, you know, they made the conscious choice that they were just going to pound Crystal Dunn's side and that that was going to be the side that would break. The Majri, they didn't want any part of Kelly O'Hara. And with Tobin Heath dropped deep in the first half, which was one interesting thing, kind of there wasn't much Majri or Les Omer, was there? So it was kind of, no. it was all the other way. Um, and, let, let me just, sorry, yeah, I, no, I don't want okay. to cut, cut you off, but Eugenie Les Omer, who was one of my favorite players in the world, had two really poor knockout stage matches. She was bad against Brazil. I think she was, and I think she was yeah, maybe. And I think she was poor. I wouldn't say she was bad against the U.S., but I think she was she wasn't making the sort of runs um, I, I'm used to seeing her make. And she wasn't confident with the ball at her feet. She she has glue to her feet. Typically, when she plays for Leon, uh, she can take anyone off the dribble. And um, she she seemed kind of timid when O'Hara uh, uh, backed her down yesterday. Yeah, she really did. And um, she you know, she had the one shout for the penalty. Um, which I thought they did a good job on that late in the game. But I thought uh, the the U.S. Um, 
the the U.S. you know got a lot from from Alex Morgan, even though she didn't score, and uh, especially late in the game when they were seeing the game out. I mean, there were just a lot of good moments from her uh, holding the ball up. You know, one of the more underrated things that she has done, and something that that our friend Richard Farley's talking about talked about recently, is that when she went to Europe, she became a better hold up player. She became yeah. a more tactically intelligent. You saw all of that yesterday, right? And so I think that's that's fully to her credit and a big reason why the U.S. were able to see that out in a game where, to some extent, even though the Haran switch stabilized the game, there were some nervy moments for some of the less experienced U.S. players yesterday, and it was classic vets that have won World Cups, that have won the yeah. World Cup, that kind of helped the U.S. see it out. Yeah, I think there's a mentality issue, and the U.S. has won at the highest level uh, in this sport, uh, or at the international level. Uh, now, that having been said, you still saw the gap in technique. You still saw the gap in uh, a certain degree of tactical awareness among some of the U.S. players. I would, I would single out Lavelle in that, uh, and I, I don't want to pick on her too much. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, she's an easy target because she's the person that's starting instead of Haran, at least – in our minds. Now, you could you could very possibly uh, keep Lavelle and Haran together and play with Ertz and drop Mewis. We saw that prior to She Believes, prior to Haran's injury, right? Yeah. We saw a lot of that th- uh, three-woman midfield. Um, I don't think that works well because Mewis, Mewis is essential. You and I did a whole pod, basically, on Sam Mewis, and that if Jill Ellis doesn't pick her for the, na- for the World Cup and doesn't start her, we're going to lose early. And I, I still subscribe to that. Um, Lavelle... Lavelle and Horan are different kinds of players. And Lavelle tends to, to drift more into wide areas, which might have been, at least in theory, um, useful in, in a defensive sense in a match like this. But she, uh, she just, I think, had some, some tactical unawareness, which comes with her, her age having you know, been and, – and I don't want to get too deep into this. This is for after the competition. But having been a lifetime NWSL and college player – uh, there is a growing sentiment around the American women's uh, game or those who cover the American w- uh, women's uh, game that we need to get more of our top national team players over to Europe, even in six months since, like Alex Morgan went, you mentioned, because she became a better holdup player. I think Carly Lloyd refined her game to where she's still in this national team because of her six months at Manchester City. Um, speaking of which, let's transition to that because you speak of Manchester City we're, t- we're talking about an England team, which is Manchester City heavy, where eight or nine of their regular starters have at some point played for Manchester City. So they played together at the club level. And um, that's going to pose a whole different challenge for the United States because uh, they're much more direct than France. And they, maybe if one of the things we, we, we picked up from this match yesterday was France has a lot of possession. But I mentioned the mental aspect of the game. They're very slow in their decision-making in midfield or slower, a step slower than the U.S. were setting up a defensive block, right, without the ball. I don't think the U.S. is going to have that luxury against England. I think England uh, makes quick decisions. They play a lot of, speaking of Manchester City, play a lot of over-the-top balls, diagonal over-the-top balls, starting from their captain, Steph Houghton. Uh, who's also Manchester City's captain, towards uh, Lucy Bronze, who's one of the best players in the world, and, uh, and Nikita Paris. All three of them have played together at the club level. So um, that poses a whole different type of danger that we didn't see from France, and similar to what Spain tried at times and had some success with. Yeah, the Spanish were um, a lot more direct than a lot of people because you see Spain and you don't really think that that's how they're going to play. And 
the Spanish women certainly do. And uh, I think it troubled the U.S. Uh, quite a bit for the third straight game. I expect the, uh, the opponent to, to really go after Crystal Dunn. And we'll see, you know, kind of once more into the breach. Um, seems appropriate since it's England. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with uh, Nikita Paris and Lucy Bronze um, over there and how, you know, they can really hold up against the best right back in the world and, and probably one of the better wingers. So, um, you know, we didn't have the Lindsay Horan luxury in the She Believes Cup game, um, but when I talked to Steph Houghton about it in Tampa, uh, you know, her, her kind of comments were that they knew that that wasn't the full U.S., but it was about belief. It was just, hey, yeah. we know that we can go out and play with them, and, and more importantly, we know that, that our coaches will have a plan to, to make us successful. And so that's kind of a point I wanted to bring up that I think is kind of valuable. Cause I wasn't really sure beyond let's go after crystal Dunn, what the current plan was yesterday. Yeah. And I really wasn't sure able to counter adjust when Ellis adjusted. Right. Like I felt like, yeah, yeah. A yeah, lot of I France's do. successes yesterday were kind of reactive in the sense that, like they, Tobin Heath gets pushed further forward by Ellis for about ten minutes in the early stages of the second half, and he and Ellis quickly realizes, oh, this is a mistake because now Le Sommer has some room to operate, and O'Hara is trying her hardest to deal with Majri, and you know what I mean. So you get th- th- there were some moments for Le Sommer early, even though the U.S. were also threatening. Um, you know there's a give and take with that but everything that happened was reactive to that ellis change whereas um you know i think england can make the u.s react and and i think neville uh for all the the trepidation about whether or not he should have the job and that's a whole nother podcast and debate um you know there there's some belief and and so you know steph houghton said look we were skeptical just as well but uh we also very quickly learned that he has an expectation and culturally uh, there's a way of defending and wanting to play that, that is expected. And that's first and foremost. And um, yeah, I mean, they're going to be direct. They're going to play those over, over the top balls, but they're going to ask questions of a defense consistently. They take shots from distance, which I think Alyssa Nair, you know, needs to be ready for. So they prep, even though they're direct, doesn't mean that they're not consistently someone that pressures you. It's just kind of a different way of playing. Yeah, and uh, Steph Houghton uh, is, uh, you know, the leader. I call her Captain Leader Legend. I'm a Manchester City fan, <laughs> for those who don't know. Uh, she has, uh, her, she's been part of the transformation of Manchester City's women's club, uh, team and now has been the captain of England for five years. The thing I would say about, um, Gar- uh, excuse me, I, almost, I just almost did it. I almost called him Gary Neville. Sorry. Phil Neville's... Um, uh, coaching philosophy is that he has imparted a culture of winning with the with the English women, but he also has been very smart about the way he uses his players and he rotates his players, Neil. So basically what you've got is a situation where um, every tw- all 20 field players played um, in either the group stage or the first knockout stage match. Uh, there are uh, very few players who haven't been rotated. Houghton and Bronze, I think, I believe, are the only players uh, that have started uh, uh, a- a- every match. I could be, I could be wrong about that. 
but I believe they are the only ones that, that have started every match. Maybe Millie Bright, the other center back, has started every match. And you've seen kind of tactical substitutions in mass. And Neville has talked about prior to this tournament, uh, hasn't talked about it as much since the tournament began, but prior to this tournament about his experience as a, as a high-level player on Manchester United squads that won the Champions League and won the Premier League, his, his experience on England squads that underperformed in major tournaments. And he has said part of it is keeping every single player on side, keeping a camp happy. You have to recreate a club atmosphere in a small period of time at a major international tournament. The English men consistently have failed to do that. Um, until this past uh, Men's World Cup, right, until last year. So he's recreated this, this, this feel-good kind of club team atmosphere in the England camp, and the results have been um, enormous in this World Cup. Um, they, they have not seemed um, shaky other than maybe the very late stages of the Scotland match uh, when Kim Little really asserted herself um, and, uh, and the Scottish midfield uh, came, came together. And that was a nervy first match. And I think the Scotland-England thing is a whole other thing where you have to think about that rivalry and what it means and maybe not take as much from that match. Since then, they've been nearly flawless. Yes, there were large portions of the Japan game where Japan looked the better side. That's been the case in every game with Japan. Um, but they were well in control of that match. Uh, the two knockout stage matches... Uh, you can talk about the controversy from the Cameroon match, but they've been well in control. This is a confident team. This is not a team short on belief, as I believe France was. Now, just backtracking real quick, Neil, to France. Um, France, we thought maybe got over the hump by beating Brazil the way they did. But then perhaps it was, oh, my gosh, we almost lost that match. Tabinia uh, finishes that chance in the 105th minute. We're out in the round of 16. Maybe that was in the back of their minds. I don't think England has any such doubts. And I think in Neville, you have a manager that, despite his lack of experience in management, is showing his knowledge as a player and his knowledge as a commentator, right? We got him, we get him so often, and you obviously have a fondness for him for all his years at Everton. Uh, We get him um, as a co-commentator a lot on matches on NBC, right? Uh, Premier League matches. And we've seen how he analytically looks at the match and he's very good at it. He's imparted that in this England squad. I think this is going to be a much tougher ask than France, honestly. Yeah, I mean, look, there's this like, and, and the important thing is to remember that they can score too, right, Cardick? Right. I mean, sure. And that's that's been, you know, the big question with the U.S. was, uh, well, are they just built to outscore everybody? And what will happen in a game where, you know, finally that defense that's been somewhat of a patchwork work in progress really the entire world cup cycle <laughs> what happens if becky sauerbrunn has a bad day what happens if and and are the americans flat i think is another question um oh, yeah yeah, I, mean, yeah. It, it, I don't like to get into that kind of stuff because it's i mean how could you be flat in a world cup quarterfinal but i mean we saw it in 2011 a little bit with the u.s having the emotional you know back against the wall win over brazil in the quarterfinal and really for stretches of the semifinal against France, they didn't really look like. Yeah, they were badly outplayed through much of the first half of that game. They were asleep. Um, and if you're asleep against this England team, I think you, you, you're asking for trouble. And one other thing I want to point out since you're talking about the U.S. defense, um, Ellen White's game has been completely transformed. I've watched her for years. 
And she was always this kind of hold up player, did nice things, would bring the wingers into into play. Um, you know, in, in this case, it would be someone like uh, Tony Duggan, who she's she, she played with a lot on the national team, uh, and, and Nikita Paris, uh, and Beth Mead when she plays. Uh, the young Arsenal uh, winger. Now she's become a, a bona fide goal scoring threat. In fact, I think she might be level with with Rapino and Morgan on goals for the Golden Boot. Uh, I might be wrong about that. We'll check that. But I think she's got five goals in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, uh, she she's been very good, and um, you know, another player that we we haven't talked much about that that can match a Sammy Mewis at least on a work rate standpoint is is Jill Scott. So. They've, oh, yeah, they've got the steel kind of centrally to do that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that necessarily, uh, you know, a guy, a, a player they'll miss against the U.S. is Jordan Nobbs. Um, oh, they're missing her the whole tournament. I mean, I think. Well, uh, well, I, yeah. I, if not, if course, Nobbs but... was, if if not, if Nobbs were in this team when she got hurt, I I said. Well, there goes the tournament for England. I, I had them as my kind of co-World Cup favorites with the U.S., and then she got her, she was out. She's been out uh, for six months, but she was confirmed out in uh, for the World Cup in April. And I said, well, that's it for England. You know, their midfield's <laughs> not going to be quite as uh, potent. But then Georgia Stanaway, when she's played, um, uh, the, the young midfielder has looked really good. And, and, I, and I've seen Kira Walsh at club level uh, for a few years now, and she's really good. So, um, But then in a game like this, you're going to want not. Yeah, right? that's, all, that's, that the only, that's the only point I'm making is that this, yeah, yeah. this is now that next step up. Like we've talked about Crystal Dunn and Diani and that next step up. So now, like, we know Jill Scott can perform on this stage, right? But then, but then, yeah. but like, what of Jade Moore? And like, what of, you know what I mean? Like, what do we know? about the rest of that roster and can they do the things that are necessary to disrupt um on the states especially if if paran as we would hope is back in in the starting midfield (laughs) i'm not gonna make any assumptions this time (laughs) oh i mean who who could uh you know and and well that's a good question though like let's let's maybe close like the england u.s portion of the preview with me asking you like Am I wrong? Like, should we should we think it's going to be Lindsay, or is is it kind of this contrast where France is a bad Rose Lavelle game, but when you're trying to unlock Steph Hudson, like <laughs> maybe you want Rose Lavelle? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. And then <laughs> I think also there's the issue of um, help defense in this match, right? Which is, um, I think England is going to play a lot of diagonal balls we talked we've talked and everyone in around the tournament's talking about lucy bronze and, and nikita paris let's talk about the other side whether it's duggan or mead um and and then of course rachel daly who um most nwsl fans are very familiar with and obviously the u.s players will be familiar with they have the ability on the left side their left side to get forward too and disrupt um uh, now maybe you could you could catch england because the fullbacks push so far forward right and maybe that is where rose lavelle speaking specifically of Daly uh, on that side, potentially could be uh, someone who unlocks because she drifts into that, those positions in a way that, that Haran really doesn't. Um, that having been said, I think we're stretching to try and make a case. I, uh, I just do not see how Haran does not start this match. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I think it needs to be Haran too, but I mean, I certainly with, with, uh, with, with Bright and Houghton, it's kind of hard to not think that maybe Ellis will be tempted to to you know say well why would I change anything 
and and I need Lavelle to unlock that pairing, and you know, so down the down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah, I think uh, this is the the real dilemma for Ellis now because this has come off well uh, to this point. Her her, her odd selection decisions, um, her decision um, not to uh, uh, bring Zerboni uh, and Casey Short to the World Cup. McCall Zerboni and, and, and Casey Short to the World Cup. She's gotten away with so far. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and her decision to take, I don't know, I, I can't even count what, 10 attacking players, nine attacking players, <laughs> something like that, uh, has, has come off. But it, when you're talking about England, a team that can, I think can match the U.S. player for player in terms of, uh, of skill level, uh, albeit kind of a different skill set, um, you're now really chancing it. OK, and I think also mental fatigue might might uh, come into play here. Uh, in spite of my saying that the U.S. was well in control and they were always going to win that match from the fifth minute on because France has a mentality problem, there still was a mental aspect of the game Crystal Dunn and Kelly O'Hara had to be completely dialed in for. And Becky Sauerbrunn and Abby Dahlkamp. No, I mean, it was, a, it was a glorious game. I mean, it yeah, was, you know, yeah. and, and those games, yeah, I mean, those games, that's what I mean. Like, those games are mentally exhausting. And yeah. the, US, the U.S. also probably played with a lot of juice. Like, we... We don't need to get into the the Rapino story, although she certainly yeah. played the best game of the tournament, given all the surrounding circumstances. Hey, considering she hasn't played particularly well, to yeah, me. and and given all the surrounding circumstances, she was, you know, magnificent. Yeah. Uh, Alex, like I said, Alex Morgan doing the little things and the dirty work. I mean, this was a U.S. team that was really locked in, and that I think in the team talk, I imagine Jill Ellis or someone. Um, whether, you know, because, you know, I don't know. I don't see Jill as like a rah-rah coach necessarily, but yeah. whoever the rah-rah figure in that locker room is, maybe even Carly Lloyd, like everybody thinks we're going to effing lose kind of talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and they kind of played with that edge, and that's hard to recreate in five days. Yeah, and then what I was going to say is that you, you're mentally exhausted from the constant pressure of France, the constant chasing, the constant possession. Um, yeah, well, that's you, tactically. <laughs> right. England is going to be different. England might concede possession. Now, we've talked about, um, talked about that midfield and, and what Jill Scott provides and what Stanaway can provide when Karen Carney plays, uh, what she provides, and, and Frank Kirby sometimes drifts back into midfield. But not having Jordan Nobbs ha- in, in this World Cup has fundamentally uh, changed some of England's approach, some of Phil Neville's approach to where they're bypassing midfield a lot and they're conceding more possession than you would think for a team that's as good as they are. So you saw that against Scotland at times. Um, Scotland has some very good kind of attacking midfield type players and attacking players. We saw that against Japan. Um, we did not see that against Norway, right? They just ran, ran Norway off the pitch. But um, I think you're going to see so many more direct moments from England where um, the, the U.S. defense has to be switched on. It's not going to be probe, probe, you know, Henri touch, Laysamere touch back. You know, let's try and create a triangle here. It's going to be Houghton. You know, the ball goes to midfield to stand away. She plays it back to Houghton. Houghton lost an over-the-top ball to Bronze, who makes a run. Paris cuts inside. She centers it to Paris. You know, it's like bang, bang. Paris lays it off. Ellen White goal. That's England plays fundamentally very different. And that mentally is a challenge because there will be large portions yeah. of the match where you're not under pressure. And then suddenly they score. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um Another game that will be mentally challenging is the other perspective semifinal, which will uh, involve the European champions, Holland. Yeah. Uh, and they will play either Germany or Sweden. 
who I imagine are going to play what, you know, if it goes the way Sweden wants, it'll be a race to the bottom rock fight, right? And, yeah. and then all of a sudden you've got to deal with, you know, Holland and their high press. So that's that's that kind of contrasting, whoa, what's going on here uh, kind of moment. But But also, if Germany advances past Sweden, the first real test for this young dynamic Holland midfield since, since the Canada game, because it was certainly, well, not, not really another type of test for this, for this Holland midfield that was pressed a bit in the Canada game. And that certainly um, was challenged by Japan. Yeah. I think, um, look, they're young, but they're coming off winning the euros. Yes. They were at home. I, I just think the Dutch, there's a lot, uh, it's going to take a really Herculean effort by whoever their opposition is, Germany in the semifinals or Sweden, potentially, uh, the United States or England in the finals to beat them. We've seen England Holland. We saw it two years ago in the Euros. Um, there is a youth uh, aspect that you have to think maybe that, that the, the mental steel of a, a country like the United States could break them down, but they've won a major tournament. They are technically the best side, uh, at least their midfield yeah. and, and attacking players, the best side in women's football yeah. that – Arguably, we've ever seen at the international is level. Jack, so, is Jackie Gronin the most underrated player at the tournament that's still playing? That's yes, yeah. Okay, I mean, I just wanted to let our listeners I know. I, I think she is um, um, because she profiles, she's not getting talked about as much. No, she yeah. she profiles as this like kind of dainty technical midfielder, but she's tough as hell. And I mean, she had four tackles today, which was two more than anyone on the field, and <laughs> she had you know. So she's not, you know, she, there are one and a half Julie Ertz's and one of her. And she's just a fearless warrior uh, like Julie Ertz. And it's crazy because, like, Von Descendant has been so bad at this World Cup. And it just hasn't mattered at all because Gronin's right behind her to clean, it, so he, clean up all sorts of messes and hit lovely diagonals to Lika Martins. And they're good. They're really good. Here, here's the thing with the 2014 World Cup now. The U.S. in the past um, has, has won World Cups where there have been – where the women's game hasn't been as developed, right? And so there hasn't been that much competition. Or in 2015 where there were um, some fortunate, you know, playing Colombia and, and, and a Chinese team that was, was low on confidence. Oh, that, was, that China game was very difficult. Um, in, in the knockout stages gave you, you know, really, you know, if you played your game, a pass to that Germany – match uh, Germany France winner in, in, in the semifinals and we know what happened there and then the US of course got Japan in the final and were brilliant. Um, this time to win this World Cup the US is going to run a gauntlet that they never run yeah. in women's World Cup history and that I would venture to say very few men's teams uh, in the men's World Cup have had to run in beating Spain, France, England and potentially the Dutch. Well the Dutch or the Germans probably in, in a final. That is a gauntlet yeah. that um, this would be the uh, no, and I know this creates all kinds of controversy. Love the 99ers. Love everything about them. This would be a much bigger No, I think this would, be, this would be – yeah, well, this would be the crowning accomplishment uh, in, the, yeah. in the history of the women's team, I think, uh, because you're repeating as world champions. You're exercising the demons of, of Rio. You're doing it while, you know, we've, we don't need to talk too much about U.S. soccer, but you're doing it while you've got a maelstrom of – of litigation and madness off the field. And yeah. you're going to have to beat four teams on European soil from Europe to win the World Cup. 
and probably <laughs> and probably uh and i you know how much i love kimberly mccauley but i i disagree with her contention that in reverse order i think it's escalating order of difficulty if it's france england holland it's escalating order of difficulty oh well i agree with that that however i think spain this is where i think you and i disagree i think spain was more difficult than france just give yeah well yeah, and, I, and i don't agree but i understand that they 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 were a, certainly a more formidable challenge than a lot of people gave them credit for and that's a you know like we saw with italy at this tournament i mean you know europe had seven of the eight quarter finalists and maybe were underselling how they've got room to improve even on that number Denmark <laughs> didn't qualify for this tournament right I mean Euro final about how good that, European final yeah Euro finalists who lost to the Dutch in the final how good that Danish team is uh Scotland was very good they were a little naive the next tournament they qualify for they're going to be that much stronger and um so Europe the, the center the gravity of the women's uh, uh game has shifted to Western Europe I don't think there's any question about that uh, I would say also in um, your commentary on that. Uh, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to uh, make it sound like I'm sleeping on the Germans potentially, but the U.S. Um, has never played a team like the Dutch that played the game the way they do in a major final. No. And so not, that would be a major challenge. That would be a totally different challenge than what we were accustomed to. And to Kimberly's point, I think that it, it's correct. That, well, I still think England's better than France, but, but, I, I, but I don't think – I think France is better than Germany. Even though, probably, even though, yeah. even though Germany has kind of steamrolled their way through this tournament somewhat quietly, uh, you know, yeah, but I, but I also think that what looked like a tough group for Germany didn't play out that way when you watched those teams. You were just kind of like, really, <laughs> you know, like China was bad, uh, and so, so on down the line. Yeah, I, I haven't been that impressed by Germany. Now we're recording this before they take on Sweden in the uh, in the quarterfinal. They're going to beat Sweden five nothing now, Cardiff, and we're going to look. Like yeah, that. yeah, and then the, and then uh, <laughs> after talking up the Dutch, and I've been talking up the Dutch the entire tournament. Those of you who've listened to me on Sirius know that I've uh, I picked them to go to the final against the U.S. and have hedged on who would actually win that final. Um, I, you know, now maybe I, I jinxed them and I'm like Germany can get beat three now right in the semifinal and the Germans are just going to steamroll through this tournament beat the U.S. and and win it. But no, we respect the Germans. We respect all their accomplishments in this sport. They've won the World Cup twice. Uh, they've won the Euros. I can't even count six or seven times. Uh, but uh, they won the the most recent major tournament, the Summer Olympics. But it just doesn't seem uh, they just don't seem to have that same level of efficiency that we've seen from them in the past. Um, and they don't have that same sort of quality in keeping the ball in midfield and playing opponents off the park that England and, and the Dutch do. So uh, we will continue this discussion. Neil and I will be back uh, sometime after that England semifinal to hopefully preview a final that includes the U.S. and look back at the England match. Uh, maybe we'll be previewing a final that includes England and, and someone else, uh, but we will be back. Uh, keep all your questions going. Tweet us at, at Yanks are coming, uh, and uh, you can tweet us individually. Neil, you're N.W. Blackman, I'm at KKFLA737. So thank you once again for listening, and we'll be back with you after the semifinal. All right, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, that was, that was good. Good. Good uh, show, man.